Hi there and welcome. The First Christian Church podcast ministry features the teaching and preaching of the First Christian Church in downtown Roseburg, Oregon. Here's today's message. In the events of Easter Sunday, you'll notice that the Sunday prior is Palm Sunday, and it's the opportunity that we get to kind of remember the events of the week before Passover uh, generations ago. So we'll be in Luke chapter 19 as we get started this morning. What I want to do is read the account from Luke's perspective in Luke chapter 19, and then we'll spend some moments welcoming the king. Luke 19 and verse 28 says this, and when he had said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples saying, go into the village in front of you where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. I'm not sure that excuse would work all that well today. (laughs) Verse 32, so those that were sent away and found it, those who were sent away, man, let me read that again. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. They brought it to Jesus and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near already on the way to the, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen. Verse 38, let's read this together, saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. If you've gone to church for any length of time, you'll notice that we have a portion in every service where we have announcements. It's the time you probably tune out, um, and it's time where we try to remind you of things that are coming. Some time ago, one of our elders who's since passed away, those of you who remember Ron Sturt's, Ron sent me a copy of some really poorly worded announcements. These are announcements that actually made their way to the printed page on the bulletin or to a reader board or perhaps to a Sunday morning service. I'll read a few of these. One said this, the fasting and prayer conference will include meals. Here's another one, ladies, don't forget the rummage sale. It's a chance to get rid of those things not worth keeping around the house. Bring your husbands. (laughs) Some of you laughed a little too loud on that. Here's another one. Don't let worry kill you off. Let the church help. Again, I want to make clear, none of these appeared in our church. At the evening service tonight, the sermon topic will be, what is hell? Come early and listen to our choir practice. Here's another one. Eight new choir robes are currently needed to the... (laughs) Eight eight new choir robes are currently needed to the... Due to the addition of several new members and to the deterioration of some older ones. (laughs) 
Last but not least, Weight Watchers will meet at 7 p.m. at the First Presbyterian Church. Please make sure to use the large double door at the side entrance. (laughs) The people in our scene today in Luke chapter 19 have been hearing announcements for generations. For generations and generations, they've actually heard the same announcements. Getting a lot of feedback from the monitors. Dean, for generations and generations, the group of people had been hearing the same announcement. Now, this is a culture that had been waiting and expecting and looking for a king. That's what they have been waiting for. Could you imagine hearing the same announcement all your life? This is the announcement. The king is coming. The Messiah is coming the Christ is coming and yet now they come to a point here in Luke chapter 19 where all of a sudden the events are happening right in front of them they're ready to welcome the king and so as we get to Luke 19 I want to summarize a few of the events that have happened so far at the end of chapter 18 there was Bartimaeus blind Bartimaeus who was sitting alongside the road as Jesus approached Jericho Bartimaeus was physically blind but he was also spiritually blind We come to read those events and we see that he believed that Jesus was the Son of God and his desire was to be healed and he was healed both physically and spiritually. The Bible records how he glorified God in such a manner that when other people saw it, they also glorified and gave praise to God. We follow the account into Luke chapter 19 to one of my favorite stories in the Bible and that's the story of Zacchaeus rushing and going into a tree to see Jesus. Zacchaeus was curious. No doubt Zacchaeus had power and leverage. He was an important individual. He could have made his way towards the front of the crowd. He could have demanded an audience with Jesus, perhaps, or with his disciples. But he goes up and he goes into a tree and he searches out Jesus because he was short of stature. So he goes into a tree so he can get a good view of Jesus. And Jesus comes to him and identifies him by name and said, Zacchaeus, why don't we have a meal together? Today I'm going to have a meal at your house. The Savior dines with Zacchaeus, and Zacchaeus, his life was changed, and this is pretty awesome, not because of a message that was preached, not because of a three-point sermon that Jesus preached, but because the Savior shared a meal with him. And treated him like a person. Zacchaeus' life was changed. So now Jesus is headed to Jerusalem. And Luke makes it clear there's nothing that's going to get away in the way of Jesus coming to Jerusalem. As we kind of unpack this story, I want to understand a couple of parts of this story. As you read through it, it's important to, uh, to have some context. So first, I want you to consider the prophecy. As we have mentioned, everyone in Israel knew that the Messiah would be enthroned as king in Jerusalem. They were waiting for this. The Old Testament had announced it and made it very clear that the king would do his main work in the city of David. And they were ready. They were ready for a ruler. They were ready not to be under Roman occupation. They were ready for a king And in similar fashion, as we look forward to Jesus' second coming, we anticipate his rule, his reign, and in the similar light, they were doing so. And so when we see the the events of Luke 19 transpire, we're seeing the culmination of this prophecy. Prophets and prophecies, understand, had a much higher standard back then of being correct. 
In fact, if you were not correct, that was your last prophecy you would have uttered. Jewish culture was conditioned to pay attention to prophecies, especially when they begin to fulfill themselves. So you got to consider the prophecy and the historic nature of all of these prophecies coming to a head here in this last week before the crucifixion. Second, I want you to consider Passover. The Passover feast was just about to begin. As we've gone through Acts, uh, we understood that there's these, uh, there's these specific prophecy or specific festivals in the Jewish calendar that brought, uh, that brought all of Jewish culture to Jerusalem. The celebrations brought many special pilgrimages to Jerusalem, and historians tell us that it wasn't unusual to have two to three million people in Jerusalem for the Passover. So when you consider the prophecy and you consider the events of the Passover looming over us, and then we consider the performing of miracles. Jesus had recently performed a number of spectacular miracles that attracted crowds and further fueled this speculation on who he might be. The, re- the record of Lazarus coming back from the dead tells us that many of the Jews put their faith in Christ, and so others went away and told the Pharisees what had happened. The growing popularity of Jesus and his followers alarmed the religious leaders. And so the moment was right as he headed to the capital. The people were excited. They were pumped. They couldn't wait for a king to come and free them from Roman rule. There was a lot of speculation. And so as we come to the passage in Luke 19, we'll notice three different ways they welcomed the king. It's amazing, by the way, in a course of a week, how the tune would change in Jerusalem. This is a week before Passover. This is the Sunday prior This week uh, on our Facebook, I'm going to give a little devotion every day this week on the events that transpired on Holy Week. And it's amazing to think about how the attitudes, how the emotion, how everything shifted in a matter of days. But still, let's see how they welcomed the king. First, they welcomed him with obedience. As we read the scene in in the New Testament I picture Jesus walking ahead of the disciples, maybe more determined than ever to enter the city of David. The job is right in front of him. The task is right in front of him. And maybe the disciples are following rather reluctantly, dragging their sandals, as it were. They knew very well that the master was already under surveillance. The Roman occupation, the Jewish elite, were very concerned what he was doing day to day. And as the popularity grew, and as the tensions grew, there was a lot of speculation on what would come next. He arrives in Bethany, which is just two miles east of Jerusalem. And the other Gospels indicate that he's there six days before Passover, which would have been on the Sabbath. He's there at the home of Simon um, He's there in Bethany, and the next day was Sunday, and Jesus begins his final walk to Jerusalem. At the hill called the Mount of Olives, he calls for two of his disciples to do a special assignment for him. According to Zechariah 4, the Messiah was to appear on a mountain, and so during the last weeks on earth, Christ spent his nights there, as it were, to give his Olivet Discourse. He prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane from where he ascended into heaven. He calls John and Peter. 
These two friends that we've been studying on Sunday morning in Acts 3 and Acts 4, these same two individuals, John and Peter, and he has a special assignment for them. He tells them about a cult that would be available to them. Well, it wouldn't quite be available. They would just make it available. It would be tied up. It would belong to someone. And they were to go to the cult, and they were to go and untie him. And if they were asked, they were to say, when questioned, the Lord needs it. It would be like someone coming up to a brand new vehicle, opening the door, starting the car, and driving away. And when the owner comes saying, what are you doing? And you would simply say, that's okay. God needs this vehicle. (laughs) Another appointment is this. Uh, The cultural background helps at this point. According to a custom called Angadia, a dignitary could use property for personal reasons. It would be like a president or or another dignitary coming to you and telling you that he needed your vehicle. The interesting thing is Jesus hasn't been declared king yet, and yet they would invoke this sacred tradition. When the disciples were sent to go get the cult, Jesus was putting into place another one of the more specific prophecies. Zechariah 9 says this, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming, righteous and having salvation, humbled and mounted on a donkey, on a colt. The verses that Darren read earlier. So um, the king was coming. It just wasn't the king they envisioned. They were looking forward to a Messiah that would come with power and overthrow the Roman government. And as Jews themselves, they would get a place in leadership. It's interesting as you go through the week right before the crucifixion, um, immediately following uh, the Last Supper, there's discussions among uh, the, the, the disciples on who would be the greatest, on who would, who would get to serve who would get to, and, and even in the tension wrapped around here, there is, the, uh, there is the anticipation of a kingdom, but a kingdom unlike that they were considering. And yet with full, with not full understanding, John and Peter simply obeyed. Jesus was about to enter the city of David, not as a warrior Messiah who would physically conquer the Roman army, but as a prophetic prince of peace. So the disciples obeyed without asking any questions. I wonder what they were thinking on their way to grabbing the colt. Obviously, they had seen miracles. Obviously, they had seen Jesus work in mysterious ways. Obviously, they were conditioned to expect the unusual. But for some reason, they simply obeyed. The disciples were arguing about who was going to be greatest in the kingdom. They were hoping Jesus was going to set up a cabinet and begin his reign. And so when they anticipated a kingdom, it looked different and it would look different. But instead of ruling, the disciples found themselves running errands, saddling donkeys. And in the midst of the confusion, in the midst of an unusual request, they simply obeyed. How many times in our life are we called to simply obey? In the middle of not understanding, in the middle of being frustrated, in the middle of maybe just pure chaos, we're just simply called to obey. I find myself in that position often 
where I don't understand exactly the circumstances that are gonna unfold. I don't understand perhaps the why, and yet I'm reminded of stories like this where we're simply called to obey. They welcomed the king with obedience. They also welcomed him with gifts. Um, There were at least three gifts given that day in preparation for this entry into Jerusalem. The first was the colt. The owners didn't question the disciples. At least there's no record of it. There might have been a drag-out argument, but Luke didn't record it. Uh, They simply gave what they had for Jesus to the disciples. Maybe they heard uh, of Jesus before, and maybe the owners of the cults were uh, were glad to have assisted in Jesus' ministry. They gladly gave what rightfully belonged to him anyway, and we see a moment ago what the cult might have cost. It was expensive, indicating that something treasured was about to happen. Verse 35 tells us about the second gift that was given to Jesus. He says, as he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. They willingly took off their outer garments. They spread them on the road. They willingly took them off and placed them on front of Jesus. Can you imagine what all the commotion would have done to the colt? It was a colt that had never been ridden before. The crowd was shouting, there's cloaks, there's someone riding him for the first time. The laying of cloaks on the road would be like rolling out the red carpet for someone today. The people recognized Jesus as royalty. They had been waiting for someone, they knew of his popularity, they knew of perhaps the miracles, and so they sent off these cloaks indicating that someone significant was going to make their entry. This leads to the third gift, the laying of the palm branches that the kids illustrated earlier. Luke doesn't mention this detail, but the detail is mentioned in Matthew's account. And this was a common way to welcome a victorious king when he would return from battle. These palm branches were a symbol of joy and they were a symbol of victory. It's beautiful that a week before his crucifixion, days before he would be betrayed by his best friend, days before another one of his closest disciples would um, simply deny him, days before he was going to be on the cross, days before being in the tomb, Jesus has this expression not only of joy, but of victory. They often grew out in the desert near water. Palm trees were a sign that life-giving activity was near. By laying palm branches on the road, the people were signifying that Jesus was the victorious king who gives eternal life to those wandering in the desert of life. These were a symbol of victory and expression of joy. They welcomed the king with obedience. They welcomed him with gifts. They also welcomed him with praise. Such a beautiful scene. The followers of the king welcomed him with obedience and with their gifts, but also with their praise. If they started with preparation, they now broke out with celebration. What started as a Jewish feast is now turning into a Messiah celebration. Verse 37 describes it this way. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen. 
The language suggests here that it's not just the 12 disciples, but the word used in Scripture is now this whole multitude. And at this point, there were many followers of Christ. And as they moved down the mountain, the city of Jerusalem comes into view, causing them to get even more excited. This was the entry days before Passover. And the people broke out in a great spontaneous outpouring of praise. It's just so amazing that in a few days' time, these same vocal cords saying, Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the King. The King of Israel would be the same voices that would shout, crucify him, crucify him. But now here they shout, blessed is the King. The phrase comes in the name of the Lord means that Jesus is coming according to the promise of God. This psalmist speaks about the coming Messiah and was sung out loud during the Passover meal. And so by singing the psalm, the followers of Christ were declaring that Jesus is the sent king who comes with the very authority of God. In Matthew's account, we see that they use the word Hosanna. This was a feeling of celebration, of exaltation and adoration for what they were anticipating. It's interesting because if you keep reading in verse 39, the Pharisees aren't happy with this display. In fact, they don't turn their anger towards the crowd. They turn their disappointment to Jesus, and they said, hey, rebuke your disciples. Call attention to what they're saying. They knew that the crowd declaring Jesus as Messiah would upset the status quo. So they tell Jesus to reject the claim to rebuke the disciples. These claims are offensive. I love the answer that Jesus gives in verse 40. He says this to them. He says, boy, if they keep quiet, even the stones will cry out. If the disciples wouldn't speak well, well, the creation would. So Jesus says, he calmed the wild coat, rides into Bethany, or I'm sorry, Jerusalem, as king of kings. We see this um, narrative uh, unpacked. We see it transpire. And like I said, throughout the course of the week, there'll be all of these other events on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, leading up to the Passover meal. And so for today, though, what does it look like for us to welcome the king? I want us to center our attention here on Matthew 5. Matthew 5 is the Sermon on the Mount, and this is Jesus' first public sermon. And in it, he says these words in verse 16. He says this, In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. How do we welcome the king? Well, we saw earlier they welcomed him first with obedience. Here's the command in verse 16. Let your light shine. Letting your light shine is not a suggestion. It's a piece of instruction, a command that is given to us from Christ. It begs us to consider that someone some time ago shone their light so bright that we would be able to see it at some point. And because Jesus 
is the light, we too get to shine that light. Understand what Jesus is coming from as he preaches this sermon to a largely Jewish audience who's just used to following the law. Well, how do I earn favor with God? Where here's the law, all you have to do is simply follow the law. For hundreds and hundreds of years, this is how they approached their relationship with God. It was a checklist system that said, as long as you fulfill these checklists, and as long as you do these things, this is what earns you favor with God. You ever wonder to yourself, is God pleased with me? Does God approve of my life? Uh, does he, is he find joy in my life? Well, for the Old Testament uh, Jewish believers and up until the time of the Gospels, this is how they approach their life is through a checklist that simply allowed them to understand, am I following the law or not? And that was it. Jesus turns it completely on its head in Matthew 5 and says, let your light shine. Let your light shine. We welcome him with obedience. What does it look like to allow your light to shine? They welcomed him with gifts. We read on in verse 16, let your light shine so they may see your good works. Ephesians 2 remind us that it's by grace we're saved, not of works, it's the gift of God. And yet as followers of Jesus Christ, we do not, uh, we don't do good works for salvation, but we do do it from salvation. Ephesians 2 follows up in verse 10 and says, uh, but you are, uh, you are his workmanship created unto good works. Our light to those without a light, our walking around in darkness is a gift. Our light is a gift to those around us. It helps them see where they're going. It shows them where they could be going. It shines a light to people in a way they've never seen or considered before because of the darkness they're used to. We were on vacation a few months ago, weeks ago, months ago. And um, the room where we were staying had, uh, had this peculiar light that was coming from the other side of the room. And during the day, you could never notice this light. It was a little indicator light on, um, I think it was on the air conditioner or the thermostat. It was just blue light, and you would never know it in the daytime. And that first night when we went to bed, all I could see was that light no bigger than two millimeters in width. When we read this verse, let your light shine, I think we think about maybe our sanctuary and we think about the lights and the, the spotlights that we have and how they're on full brightness and we think, well, this is how bright I have to live my life. And yet I'd ask you to consider maybe, maybe the stained glasses behind us instead. That as those lights are just, uh, are th these panes of glass are just broken pieces of glass, right? Of different colors, of different shapes, of different sizes. That when they're pieced together, they produce this beautiful mosaic. And when the light shines through them, it gives light 
to the rest of the space. And it reflects the beauty of the picture together. You know, it's, it's, um, it's, it's the handiwork of God that shines through us. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good works. They welcomed him with praise. Notice how the verse ends. And give glory to your Father who is in heaven. We were made to worship him and give praise to him. We were created for God's pleasure and bringing enjoyment to God. Living for his pleasure is the first purpose of his life. What better way to praise him than to introduce people to the unconditional love and matchless grace of our Savior. What's interesting is when we read the story and as we embrace Palm Sunday and the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, when we look at the Gospels, we see that overwhelmingly Christ met people where they were. In fact, one theologian uh, read through the Gospels and recorded 132 times Jesus met with people. Anytime he had contact with people, of those 132 times, six of them were in the temple. Four were in the synagogue. The other 122 were with people in the mainstream of life. Christ met people where they were. He came as a king, and as we are children of the king, we are beyond condemnation. As a child of the king, we are delivered from the law, and now we are near to God. We are delivered from the power of evil. We are justified. We are made complete. We are adopted. We have access to God. We're part of the royal priesthood. We will never be abandoned. We have an inheritance. We are loved. Why? As children of the king. And so this week, I want you to center your hearts on this. How do you meet people where, how can you meet people where they are this week? This is not in your notes. I was thinking about this verse in the last few days. It's in 1 John chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to them. I don't have it on the screens for you this morning, but in 1 John chapter 1. Jesus tells the people, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. And we think about the light shining and we can get overwhelmed by the prospect of our light shining, of our lights being bright, of maybe causing attention to come to ourselves. And what really what Jesus is speaking about is walking with him in the light. Verse 5 of 1 John says this, chapter 1. This is the message we have heard from Jesus and now declare to you, God is light. Say those three words with me. God is light. John goes on and says this, there is no darkness in him at all. So when Jesus says, let your light shine before others, He's not talking about a personal light that you get to flicker on and off. He's not talking about the source of light being in of yourselves and just because of yourselves. It is the source of light being God is light. It says this, there's no darkness in him at all. Verse 6, so we are lying if we, have, if we say we have fellowship God, but go on living in spiritual darkness. We are not practicing the truth. 
If we are living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with others, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. I think one of the things that Jesus is trying to allow us to understand when he talks about let your light show sign before others is this, is to live in the light that Jesus provides. Um, Because the alternative is this, if you're not living in the light, you're living in darkness. And in the darkness, you can't really see where you're going. In the darkness, you stumble. In the darkness, all the corners and the edges pop out. I woke up in the middle of the night. My sugar was dropping a little bit. I had to get something to eat, and I rounded the corner where the bed usually isn't there, and I stumbled. Why? Because in the darkness, you can't see as well. In the darkness where you think things are, there can jump out at you. John reminds us here, he says this, if we are living in the light as God is in the light, we have fellowship with each other. We looked at that word fellowship in Acts. He says we have the ability to share our lives with someone. If you're in the light, guess what? All of a sudden, your relationships, you're you're able to have these true relationships. And then if we're in the dark, it says this, if we have fellowship with each other, The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. Verse 8, if we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. You know what happens when we avoid the light and start living in the dark? We start getting used to the dark. We start used to these places in our life where we start to hide things. I had a mentor of mine tell me this, bad things grow in the dark. Isn't that true? I want you to think about your life. I want you to think about the times in your life where you feel like hiding just a part of your life. And you feel like hiding just a part of the, what's going on in your life. And it might be the way that you're interacting with your spouse. It might be the way that you're interacting at church or maybe the way you're avoiding relationships or you're declining to that cup of coffee with a friend who's asking because there's something in your life that you're hiding. And when you're hiding something, you start... Uh, you start assuming things about other people and yourselves that aren't true. And guess what? It doesn't matter if they're true or not because they have the power of truth over you. Whenever you start hiding things, bad things grow in the dark. And, and John is encouraging us, if you live in the light, if you shine light, if you allow yourselves to live in the light of Jesus Christ, it starts exposing all of these things. And one of the beautiful things of allowing Jesus to expose all the darkness in our life, it exposes all the lies that we've been listening to. And there will be moments in our life where we said, I don't, I just, I don't fit in. I don't fit in. I can tell you that's a lie from the enemy of our souls. So let's just say that you entertain that thought. I don't fit in. I normally sit here, but I'm going to sit a little further away this Sunday because this, I'm going to keep this in the dark because I don't fit in. I'm going to watch the service online this week because I just I don't fit in, but I know this is my church, so I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to watch it online. I'm going to watch it later this week because I just don't feel like I fit in and I don't, I don't want to participate. And I just, I feel, unco- you start entertaining that thought. And typically what happens is it withdraws you from relationships. It withdraws you from people. And whether or not the lie is, or that the statement you're believing is true or not, it has the power of truth in your life. 
when we start hiding those things. First John tells us, boy, if we walk in the light, then we have fellowship with one another. I told you last Sunday that one of the difficult things about Easter is um, we reduce it to this one special day. I want to just explain what I meant about that. I listened back to what I was saying, and I, I felt like I didn't explain properly. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is what gives us life from day to day. It is the eternal, eternal truth of the ages that you and I have a relationship with a risen Savior. It is the truth of eternity that shifts our eternal destination that you and I have a personal working relationship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And even though the events of this week turned really quickly, it was divinely ordered that Jesus would go through the separation of his disciples. It was divinely ordered that he would be betrayed by Judas, that he would be denied by Peter, that he would be scourged, that he would be at Caiaphas's house, that the events of Passover would happen, that he would be arrested in the middle of the night, that he would be alone on the cross, that he would have to see his mother watch him die. All of those things were orchestrated because Sunday is coming. And we go through Friday and we go through Saturday and we think about what all Jesus went through and what all the disciples went through and the alone, the, 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 the times where they were felt alone and the times they must have felt, my goodness, he said he would die, he said he would come back, but maybe... How long does this take? What does this look like? And on Saturday, how long they must have waited for the resurrection and how long they must have resurrected. They probably didn't even have a meal because the last time they had the meal, they were sharing it with Jesus and Jesus said, the next time I eat of this cup and drink of this bread, it'll be in the heaven. And we take all of the events of this week and we reduce them to one Sunday. Boy, Jesus said this, I am come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. So Christian, today I'm asking you, what would it look like for you to welcome the king this week? What would it look like to welcome him in obedience? All the ways that you know Jesus would just uh, instruct you to live your life. What would it look like if you just obeyed him simply? What would it look like if you just gave of him and welcomed him with gifts? And then what would it look like this week if you just simply said, I'm going to welcome him with praise this week? I'm going to celebrate his life this week. And let's do Easter every day this week. Would you bow your heads? I want to pray for you this morning. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you, Father, that you record for us what the disciples went through in these moments. I think about Peter and John going and get the colt. I think about them preparing for the Passover meal later in the week. I think about all the different ways they might have been confused, disappointed maybe, the anxiety they must have felt this week. And yet, we have the privilege of knowing what happens at the end of the week. So Lord, in the chaos of our life, in the tension of our life, in the anxiety of our own life, Father, I pray that we would 
live the resurrection every day of our lives. So, so we start with the rest of today. Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. In the life I live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So Lord, we take that attitude, that posture from Paul, and we say, we are crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, we live the rest of today in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You said that you are the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by him. So Lord, we embrace that today. And we want to welcome you with our obedience. There is a space of obedience in every one of our lives that we know we should take. Some of us just need to carve out that daily prayer time and say, I know I should be doing this and I've done good and sometimes I've done bad and other times in my life, but right now I know this is the step of obedience I need to take is to carve out some daily time with him. I carve it out for Facebook, I carve it out for the news, I carve it out for every other part of my life. So I need to carve out this space with you. For some of you, it's, it's, it's whatever the next step is. You know there's a space for you to obey him. So Lord, would this be the week that we welcome you with obedience? Like the people did, Father, would you allow us to welcome you with gifts? You said, let your light so shine that they may see your good works, Father. I pray that we would be a generous people. I pray that we would not be a skeptical people when there's a need, but that we would be generous. That when someone needs something, that we would give of our lives, our resources, our time. Some of us are talented in a very unique, special way, and it's time for us to give of that talent. They welcomed him with praise, Lord. So, Father, I pray that we would do so. I pray it would start today. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you made a decision for Christ or would like prayer with someone from our church family, we would love to connect with you. You can message us on Facebook by searching Roseburg First Christian Church, or you can email us directly at roseburgfcc at gmail.com. In addition, if you're listening to this message on Apple or Spotify, we invite you to like, subscribe, rate, and review this podcast and share it on social media so others can be blessed as well. God bless you and have a beautiful day.